This week on Commerce Tea, we're taking a break from talking tea and are joined by Nick Cho, who you may know as your Korean dad from TikTok. Before becoming the most wholesome TikToker on the planet, Nick was better known for the coffee shop he co-founded, Wrecking Ball Coffee. Today, we're going to be talking about those two worlds and how they intersect. That's right. TikTok, commerce, and of course, coffee. Let's dig in. Welcome to Commerce Tea, a podcast to help you succeed on Shopify. I'm Rian. And I'm Kelly. Grab a mug and join us as we talk about all things commerce. Hey, Kelly. How can merchants leverage customer data to drive more revenue and increase retention? How can they create personalized experiences customers love? I recommend Octane AI, the leading buyer profile platform for Shopify and Shopify Plus merchants. How does it work? Octane AI features a shop quiz, Facebook Messenger and SMS, and opt-in tools. Using the shop quiz, merchants can get to know customers with interactive questions. From product recommenders to gift finders, you can learn about a customer's needs, preferences, pain points, and more. This information gets saved into buyer profiles, and you can sync your buyer profile data with your Facebook Messenger, SMS, email, and ad campaigns for personalized customer journeys. What kinds of returns can brands expect? Brands using the shop quiz have increased email signups by 16 times and driven a 28% increase in average order value. Facebook Messenger and SMS see 80 to 95% average open rates and drive up to a 20% increase in revenue. Better yet, Octane AI has plans for any size business and offers a 14-day free trial. Every plan gives you access to the shop quiz, Facebook Messenger, SMS, and opt-in tools. There are also plans available where Octane AI's experts will help you set up and optimize your tools for success. This sounds great. Where can merchants go to learn more? You can learn more, book a demo, or try it free at join.octaneai.com slash commerce tea. Again, that's join.octaneai.com slash commerce tea. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, Nick. Hi. Hi, Rian. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm we usually start these things off by saying, like, how are you doing? So, <laughs> hey, Nick, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. It's funny. Um, I, Is it obnoxious to say I get podcast invitations to come on people's podcasts like every day, every other day now? Lately, it's sort of like an occupational hazard for being a TikTok person. And it's really, it's, I, I want to do all of them. And I, also, I can't. But when Rian reached out, it was like a no-brainer. Of course, I'm going to come on. Well, we very much appreciate that. And that obviously makes us feel super special. Yeah, so. we I'm, feel very special. I meant that in a wholesome way, not in a, like, I hope you appreciate... <laughs> be clearing my schedule out this is a very exclusive guest you have on right now that's right i, I didn't even tell my management team about this <laughs> well they're well you're missing is the the pre-conversation we had so you're not npr but <laughs> npr wanted wave file 48 kilohertz 16 bit or something like that but it's so funny. So Nick, so for everyone who doesn't know this, we actually, uh, when we're recording, we we, re we we look at each other on Zoom and I can see that Nick is drinking a tasty cup of assumedly coffee. What are you drinking, Nick? So you want to, you this is audio, <laughs> so we have to paint the picture. So what I'm drinking is very interesting. Most people have never even heard of this. It's black ginseng tea. 
So everyone's maybe we've heard, even if you haven't tried it before, ginseng tea. There's different types of ginseng, and it's not a different like uh, plant. It's the same. It's a processing thing. Red ginseng, uh, which is sort of like the more fancy one people maybe have seen out there, is steamed and dried and steamed and dried like a few times. Black ginseng, you keep doing it like like 20 times. It takes weeks <laughs> sometimes to make it. And it gets super concentrated. And it really is like black. Like if you saw this, it's like jet black. It looks like coffee. But um, my mom, this is part of being Korean. Like my mom every so often will be like, I have this thing. It's from Korea. It's really expensive. You should drink it. I'm like, is that the way this goes? It's expensive. So you should drink it. But um, it's, I don't know. I like it. And it, and you know, it's one of those like immune booster things. And so during Corona times, it's like, I'll take whatever I can get. So I feel like it's an important thing to note right now that this is the longest we've discussed tea on Commerce Tea. <laughs> and I'm the coffee guy. <laughs> so this is how this happened. This, this is great. This we is even perfect. said in the intro, we're, ta- we're not talking tea, but <laughs> throwing you off for a loop. I, I think that sounds really interesting and I want to try it. You actually inspired me from one of your TikTok videos to try $30 grapes. Oh, you tried it. Yeah, I, I ordered them from Wee. Uh huh. How were they? That I thought they were good. They were grapey, as you said. <laughs> they were grapey. I don't know if they were thirty dollars grapey, but I was like, eh, why not give it a? T-? I also tried expensive strawberries the other day off of off of Wee. How are those? Uh, really strawberry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I you know there's a whole there's a whole story about like the technification of food and produce in the United States and the ways that like we don't get the good stuff. You know, like a strawberry, the good strawberries, when you bite into and you look in the inside, there's like no like white part on the inside. It's like really deep red all the way through. And then you realize like what you've been missing out on your whole life. And then, you know, for those who are privileged enough to travel to other countries, it's like sometimes you go there and then it's like, why is everything so good? It's like, oh, because we never went through that technified food sort of produce thing that you all did in the U.S. It is really interesting when you when you travel, especially for some people who have allergies who can suddenly eat in other countries without any issues, right, but right. they go back stateside and suddenly, hello, allergies, they're back. They're back. Um, okay, so Nick, I know who you are. Kelly knows who you are. But in case people don't know who you are, please introduce yourself. Um, I'm Nick Cho. Some people know me as your Korean dad. Uh, I'm doing a little head pat thing for the video. Um I've been on TikTok for about a year and a half, but over the past year, I've really kind of blown up a little bit, and it's sort of taking over my life a little bit, um, in a good way, and in, in, in opening a lot of doors and and creating sort of a new career for myself. In the meantime, I'm also co-CEO and co-founder of Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters with my wife, Trish. Um, we're sort of known as a bit of a power couple in the coffee industry. We're both considered kind of thought leaders or critics if you're more of a winner takes all kind of person, um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Like, oh, don't be a thought leader because that's just a, a, a supporting the status quo. Be a critic. So I'm like, OK, I'll call myself a critic then. Um, but that that definitely has been, you know, one of my main functions, I guess, in the industry is uh, a little truth to power, but also very nerdy on the coffee science side of things. And so, yeah, it's been really interesting th- that transition but um that all said i'm i'm so interested to be here on on commerce tea podcast like it's 
definitely something that that I have a lot to say about, and I think that'll be an interesting conversation. At the same time, it's like nothing else I've done, especially recently. So I'm so thankful for the invitation. Do you want to be a critic of our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned before we went on the air that uh, that we started recording. I mean, on the air. I'm so old. Um, <laughs> that... Uh, that I had a coffee podcast. It was like the first coffee podcast back in 2005. It was called the Portafilter Podcast. And I think like a lot of like like what you all do and a lot of people who do podcasts, it was this sort of like learn along with me kind of kind of format, which I think is really great. And and I've definitely listened to Commerce Tea and I really appreciate all the stuff, all the gems that get dropped. <laughs> on a no. Yes. And all the spicy takes. Yes. All the spicy Gotta love the spicy takes. takes. Uh, I love the idea of a critic versus a thought leader because I always feel cringy when I call myself a thought leader, but a critic, I most certainly am. So that's <laughs> yeah. I also think that people, especially people sort of in academia and people who are who use words a lot, like journalists, I think that folks get caught up a lot too much in the semantics and the words of things. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't mean that. That means this. People are misusing. <laughs> you know, literally or like whatever. And it's just like, th- this is, you know, it gets oppressive in its own way. Just you understand what they're trying to say. Let's move on. Or do you really want to like parse this out and make us right. take a stand on your, your thing right now? <laughs> is this Kelly and I always say, is this the hill we're going to die on? Right. Is this, is this it? Is this where we plant our flag? And this is the hill that we're going to die on. And most of the time the answer is no. Uh, no. Although there are some that I'm willing, willing to, to do that. So, Pop-ups. When I met you, I knew you first as uh, the co-founder of Wrecking Ball Coffee. I have done some research. Y'all kind of pioneered third wave coffee from my understanding. My wife coined the term and sort of like wrote the original like mini manifesto sorts that kind of spelled it out. So, yeah, she's credited with with uh, coining the term and the initial concepts. That's can you explain what that is? So we talk about third wave coffee. three waves of sorts. So first wave, we're talking, uh, the way I usually kind of summarize it, first wave is about consuming coffee. It's not supposed to taste good. If you want it to taste less bad, you put milk or sugar in it. Um, Maxwell House, kind of like your standard diner coffee, like that's uh, consuming coffee. Second wave, usually people think about Starbucks. So second wave, I usually call it enjoying coffee sort of uh, um, era. So, or not necessarily era, but like sort of philosophy or 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 generational cohort, right? So, um, it's not good enough that it's just functional or that it's complex. I want it to be yummy. I want it to be blended with ice and make it a frappuccino. I want to put drizzle caramel sauce on it and call it a this or vanilla latte that kind of thing. So that's second wave. Third wave, I usually refer to as a coffee appreciation, sort of like wine appreciation or music appreciation. So the idea there is less about pinky in the air or like snobby or more fancy. It's more this idea that if you learn more about where it comes from and the sort of like geeky side of it, that it actually enhances the consumption experience overall. And it just makes it more of like a more full kind of round uh, thing, as well as a hobby or a pastime or an interest that you can get into. And, and you know, some people might call it connoisseurship or whatever. But again, there's sort of like snobby kind of kind of connotation in those situations. And so, yes, three waves, you know, uh, three waves of feminism was definitely an inspiration for Trish when she originally put it all together. 
which, you know, in turn becomes this whole conversation about what's fourth wave coffee, you know, things like that. So, yeah. About Wrecking Ball Coffee. How many brick and mortar locations do you all have? So we have two cafes that are open to the public. We have one that is obviously on, on hiatus right now, but is actually in a, inside of a tech office here in a, in a company called GitHub uh, here in San Francisco. A small company called Never GitHub. It will start. It will start up. You know, it, we started working with them before they became a Microsoft subsidiary, but. Um, but so I guess it's almost like two and a half cafes in that way. But, you know, it, it's interesting talking to you all and be, being so kind of e-commerce uh, focused because, you know, for us, we've really been kind of focused more on the, the thought leader side and industry leadership side of things and less kind of on the business side of things. And so this is a very timely conversation for me because I'm like almost ready to launch our new website that is definitely... Um, re- redesigned and, and optimized for a number of things, you know, that maybe we can get into. But, um, but, but yeah, like, we haven't been focused as much on growth and such as a business, because for us, like, just making sure that we're always telling the truth, and that we're focused on really, like, the integrity side of things has always been sort of our priority. But we're we're learning to grow up a little bit as a business. I'd actually love to dive into that a little bit more because now I'm going to put my my UX audit uh, hat on here. What were the pain points that you were experiencing that ultimately decided to lead to a redesign? So, yeah, this is a really interesting uh, topic, at least for me. I, hopefully it will be for you as well and people who are listening. Um, there's this real interesting tension that's happening right now. And I don't know, Rian, if we've ever talked about this, but so Trish and I are craftspeople. Like we're considered masters of our craft, like worldwide, you know, we both are invited before Corona times, like, you know, to travel the world and come and speak about our respective uh, areas of expertise. She's more on the sort of sourcing of the raw product side, as well as, you know, we call it green coffee sourcing, as well as the roasting side of things. And then I'm on the brewing barista marketing sort of side. And then we both talk a lot about the social issues and sort of the macro microeconomics uh, of, of coffee. Um, over the past few years, been watching this sort of D to C kind of takeover, right? You know, e-commerce and such has not been something new, but there's definitely kind of like the first, second, third wave thing. Um, there's definitely something that's shifted, that's changed a lot. Uh, and I and I don't know. I'm assuming that in your all's world that there's like a whole conversation. There's some old fogies like me who are like, there's no, you know, D to C is just e-commerce again, or like, you know, this isn't anything new. Kind of, kind of folks, the get off my lawn sort of mentality of things. <laughs> um, so like, you know, there's there was a similar thing that happened in coffee where like when third wave started becoming a thing, it was like, there's no such thing. Like we were doing this back when I was a whippersnapper, you know, type of sort of thing. <laughs> the, literally people using the word malarkey in conversation. I, 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 I'm... <laughs> yeah, when, when I saw the Joe Biden stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, I know that word because of George Powell. And he loved to use the word malarkey in reference to coffee stuff. Um, but that said, like, you know. So we're in an age, and I think that that you all know what I'm talking about, where people are showing up with uh, like SEO and like a, a branding strategy and really cute packaging that's very on trend. And to me, like you know, to sort of 
just put it out there. Like, it feels like they don't care about the craft side of it, really. It's just like a box to check. And then people like coffee, so coffee's good. You know, and we've, you know, seen people enter the coffee industry and this, our space, our industry with that type of like perspective for, for a long time. If that part's nothing new, that, that part's not new. But what is new is like this sort of iteration of it, that this D to C sort of play where people are like, oh, we're going to do coffee this way. And the coffee doesn't seem very good or they don't care or, or whatever. And, and so for me, it's been interesting uh, being someone who is, is always like being a critic of myself and always kind of second guessing and checking myself more than anyone. Like, you know, once I start feeling that kind of grumpy old man feelings and uh, kind of looking at myself in the mirror and going like, but what do I have to learn? Do I have something to learn from these folks? And so re like looking at my website through a fresh set of eyes and realizing like, oh, this is like an, a brochure type. I don't know if you all have like lingo for these sorts of things in the in your industry. But, you know, I'm looking at it realizing like, oh, this is like a look at me, look at me uh, trying to tell our story, trying to like be very explainy type of website where, you know, for us, it's like very much like we have the credibility, we're cool kind of thing rather than uh, articulating like the value proposition for the consumer right away, you know, which I think is something that newer D 2 C brands tend to be really good at. Like, and, and if maybe that's the only thing that they're good at, but you know, the point being that th- it is something that they are good at and that they're meeting people's needs in that way. Uh, so for me, it becomes, yeah, like, can, can I kind of combine best of both worlds, have a product that fundamentally is built on, like decades, literally decades, combined like 50 years of experience uh, of thought leadership in the industry between my wife and I, and but then also be able to communicate it in a way where, I mean, frankly, where we can play in the D2C space. It's, it's, it's cool because, I mean, you really do have two, almost two different audiences there that you're building. And those who are more interested on the direct-to-consumer side are able to, you know, get the experience they're looking for while you can still play up the thought leadership critic side of things as well. I think especially because you have a good product, and this is going to sound shady. Uh, maybe it is shady. The, one of the challenges I've noticed with DTC brands is it's a lot of flash over substance. Right. And I love DTC. Like, I love it. I've been, you can watch videos from me five years ago being like, I am all in on direct-to-consumer. And yet now as it becomes more and more and more mainstream, it's like everything's hyper-branded, but then you get it and you're kind of like, eh. And, and, and I don't think that's good. Like I want I want it to be well-branded and then say, oh, and also this product is awesome once I get it. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's a hot take f- for you all. It just came to mind. I mean, are we talking about the fast fashionization of direct-to-consumer, right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind of what it is, right? Like as much as it seems like fast fashion is something nowadays – that there's growing awareness of the sort of problems with it and that it's not really good for the environment and and such and such, that we're seeing that ethos kind of bleed into and essentially take over the direct-to-consumer e-commerce sort of world where it is like, again, about the 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 quick sort of like, can you get to market quickly? Do you have distribution? Um, the direct-to-consumer sort of play. Because you're getting so much more when it is direct-to-consumer instead of wholesale, like more of the profit margin, that it feels like there's more like wiggle room for things and you can take a little bit more risks 
And in turn, yeah, like it ends up being like your H&M or whatever, where it's like fast fashion. Like you're going to wear it two times and it's going to fall apart. Well, that's a good analogy, actually, because I think yeah. I think that's something that people are struggling with. And then I'm not I'm not saying that Wrecking Ball is a legacy brand necessarily, but a more established brand. I think legacy when, brand is, fa- is fair. I think legacy brand is fine. Uh, so it's like. I want to leave a legacy. You're, you're like, yeah. <laughs> so if more legacy brands, I think, kind of struggle because they've got all of this phenomenal product and they've got this following. And this is even like Cartier, right? Them moving online and doing D2C sales. Like that's revolutionary for a brand that just didn't sell online before. And where you, where I look at you, I'm look, look, I'm like, you're like the Cartier of coffee. So like, you know, I look at, at wow. what you're doing in that shift to online and, um, and with your rebrand, I'm really excited to see it. I want to look under the hood. I, I mean, it, it's still, it's, it's still Shopify theme, but I think one of the first things for me becomes like having this, your Korean dad, TikTok persona and, and growing sort of in I guess the word is fame like more people more and more people know me in my face that it really did feel like you know if we're if we're doing an objective sort of inventory of what our assets are that like to not have me in my face my likeness on the front page if not like the first thing that pops up like when you get to the website felt like you know that was uh, uh something you know a big miss and so sure enough with a new website it'll be a picture of of Trish and me um, in our roastery, like right at the very at the top, and then right below it, kind of again in sort of on trend style, like a big sort of frame with some type of uh, not really quite a slogan, but some type of value proposition statement that that uh, really again speaks not about us and trying to say like here's who we are, but here's why you should care, here's what the benefit is to you type of thing, and we're still kind of working on that. You're just like checking all the boxes of what yeah. I have to see. So yeah, we're like yes, yes, yes. This is great. Yeah, the- I think it's a it's a good move. Like one of the one of the really important things there is is focusing on the two of you up front because one one thing we've been talking about a lot is who who is the brand who is behind this brand who you know who are we buying from right and you know your Korean dad aside knowing you're supporting like smaller like local business as opposed to you know a a starbucks um is it that is a selling point and that's something that should be celebrated right right i think that just by having our faces there i mean what what i i think that you're right and it exudes a few different things that are sort of both conscious and subconscious or unconscious right like just the idea that putting ourselves out there we have even you know before korean dad stuff like we, we had been thinking about positioning ourselves more because we can as almost like more of a personality driven brand, like a little bit more almost like a celebrity chef kind of like restaurant group type sort of thing instead of like just letting the brand brand kind of be out there, which presents its own set of challenges and such as not the least of which is like finding pictures of ourselves that we like or (laughs) even getting them done. It's, It's, you know, that's, that's one of those things like you're like, Oh, we'll just get a picture of ourselves. And it's like, we don't like any of these, like we wouldn't use any of these, you know, kind of thing. It gets really, it gets really tricky. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, this idea of faceless brand or, or whatever, like trying to personalize a little bit, but ultimately these things are going to matter to people and connect with people in the ways that it does, depending on sort of what you have to offer, 
them. That again, that phrase value proposition is so, so handy in that way. So I have a question It's kind of a pivot, but it's also very much in alignment with, with what you are doing and what you have done. So you have the two brick and mortars right now that are still open. Yeah. We never closed. How, how did you handle, because we have, right, parts of the country in various stages of lockdown. You and I are both in California. We're in the exact same stage of lockdown right now. How are you continuing to handle that? And have you seen an increase in online sales? And are you funneling people to online? Or, or what? what's that situation look like? You know, again, I don't say this with pride. It's actually a little bit of embarrassment. Like we've sort of defaulted to it. If we build it, they will come type of strategy. Again, like a little bit, and again, like if I'm going to be honest with myself, a little bit like we're we're too cool and we're too hot. Like we don't want to kind of really try to sell to people. Like people should know, like you know, kind of thing. And and frankly, in that way where it's like when people find us, they tend to know what they're getting into, and so the sort of sales cycle and such tends to be a little bit easier than when folks are really trying to reach out and and do heavy marketing and then you realize that you don't have the quite right product market fit. Um, but to answer, get back to your question, Rian, I think that for us, you know, the cafe setting has always been the focal point that the um, online sales of our coffee has always been sort of more of like a, like a bonus for us, the way that we've treated it. And again, I think that that's not just been a mistake, but, you know, ultimately you know, we through through 2020 and 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 through you know this month we're in February 2021. Um, you know, we've just been sort of like right at the at the line of profitability, just trying to keep things going. And so it makes a lot of sense for us to spend a little bit more energy on business development, trying to increase revenue. And again, like I've got to confess, like it's not so much that I had the luxury to not worry about it. It's just like it's been hard to balance that out with the sort of other sides of our what we're trying to put out there you know like uh, in many ways like felt it feels like because we have this opportunity this unique sort of position to sort of be thought leaders in the industry to then go and sort of um push more on the business side of things feels like almost like uh kind of capitalizing on that in the wrong sort of way and and that's something that we're trying to figure out still uh but but yeah, we had we hadn't we didn't really have to drive people to the online. Like it just happened naturally. And and yeah, I mean we've been selling more whole bean for sure. But at the same time our cafes have been as busy as they've always been. Uh we've been very fortunate in that way. Well, I for one I'm glad you're selling online because I can buy some. Me as well. <laughs> and I just think everyone's looking right now or at least I'm speaking for myself when there's a safe experience for me. Like there's one coffee shop in my town. It's a micro roastery and they, I know for a fact are safe. And so it's like, when you know that about a brand, you're going to keep going there, right? At least this is my experience. How do you know and for a fact? Like, How do I know for a fact? Okay. One, it's owned by a scientist. So I, I know he's a scientist. It's, um, uh, it's a, um, partnership, um, like a life partnership and a business partnership. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the scientists. And they are very much like you put your order online and then you go in or you you just stand outside. They bring it to you and you never, I don't know. It just feels really safe. And that to me 
has, I've, I've now subscribed to them. I have actually subscribed my whole team to them. Mm. And then I, I still, if I want the coffee shop experience, I'll still go there. Although it's, I just get it to my car, but still it's, I still feel like I'm, I'm having a moment of like that when you first drink a sip of coffee and you right. haven't had good coffee for a while and someone else makes it who isn't you. That's right. how I feel. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, so in, that's so interesting. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so throughout this whole period, you I'm assuming ha- there's been some supply chain interruptions. Is that a, a, a real assumption? Is that a false assumption? Uh, for certain things, for sure. Like for the stream of, of raw coffee, of green coffee, we've been okay. Um, that hasn't really been disrupted too much. It's been more like other supplies. I mean, even like, actually, yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought about this in a while just because we kind of dealt with it. But the bags... That's been an issue, keeping them in stock. Like we, because we've been so bootstrappy, like we haven't been able to get custom coffee bags made, like the actual retail packaging. We get a stock bag and then we put labels on it to sort of customize it. And that's been good enough for us for a while. Um, We feel like about when we started Wrecking Ball, so I had another coffee company before that and Trish uh, helped run other coffee companies before that as well. But when we started Wrecking Ball, we started with a white bag and white bags were not a thing. And we feel like we kind of helped make it a thing. <laughs> well, it, it, at the time, it, the, the logic in the industry was like, it's, if it's white it, you know, and there's coffee, it's going to get dirty and that's not good. But for, for me, it was like, no, you know, there's a, there's a different sort of angle to it. But that all said, like we get these white uh, compostable bags from a company and because so much of the consumption shift has happened to uh, whole bean coffee and p- people buying mail order and, and whole bean and making it at home instead of at cafes, that there's been sort of a worldwide shortage of, of that sort of stuff, um, oh. of, of coffee packaging. Yeah. And so it's, it's been a bit of a challenge. So if you go to your local coffee roaster, your micro roaster, and their bags look different for some reason, that's probably why. Because there's huh. been a worldwide sort of run on this stuff. I'm going to completely pivot this conversation. <laughs> so She's coming like a often... wrecking ball. I had to. I had to. <laughs> why? Uh, why? We often. <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> this is why. This is why she's my co-host. This is exactly why I have her on here, or she has me on here. I don't know. She owns the company, so <laughs> I guess I'm the one who's a guest here. Um, No, okay, so let's talk about influencers. So we often uh, get this question from a lot of merchants who are interested in getting into influencer marketing, and you actually come at it from the other side as the influencer. So how do you like to be approached by brands? I think that it's interesting. I feel like I, I, the way I think about anything like this is I try to distill it down to the core concept so whether you're doing engage trying to engage an influencer for influencer marketing or you're trying to meet someone to date in a bar like a relate it's a relationship right it's a relationship and um in that way it does remind me a lot of that kind of like trying to you know hit on someone at a bar or like get a someone's number or something like that right where it really ends up unfortunately the answer the real answer becomes well, you have to be the right mix of like familiar and innovative and novel, right? Like you can't do the same exact thing that everyone else does or else you're going to get lost. 
But then at the same time, if you do something too off the wall, then you just seem strange. And it feels uh, you, you, you kind of communicate inadvertently that I don't know, I don't have good, I don't demonstrate good judgment. Like, I don't actually know how this goes. And so I'm doing something weird. You know, I know that for me, and I and I do talk to a lot of folks. Like Ria knows on Clubhouse, we, uh, a couple other people, and I host a weekly TikTok content creator like chat, uh, like it's a forum of sorts on Tuesdays. Uh, West Coast, eleven a.m. Uh, TikTok content creator club with Krista Allen and Adrian Young. But um, so we end up ta- talk getting into the influencer marketing conversation a little bit, and I guess the best way in general seems to be. For larger content creators like me and who have millions of followers, email ends up being the best way. Uh, a lot of people assume that Instagram direct messages might be a good way. Instagram direct messages, I don't know if you all have ever talked about this, is a complete and utter mess. It's a disaster <laughs> for larger accounts. If you like, I have a hundred almost 190,000 followers on Instagram. And the DM thing is completely like comments are are a complete like beyond of mess. And even the DMs, it's really hard to find. You know that thing that happens with email where you see a message and then you yep. go like, "Oh crap!" Like that didn't catch my eye last week when I really wish that it had. You know that type of version of FOMO happens on Instagram Messenger all the time. And so I I found that email is best in that situation. I do think that. Um, it is smart to be a little creative on, on your side as a brand, like do a little bit more work. Don't, I recognize that there's this, again, this tension where people want to approach an influencer and be respectful and be like, well, I respect you. You know what you're doing. So I don't want to be pushy and say like, Hey, can you put this hat on and wear this, these gloves and do this dance? It's been very specific. Like, it's more like, I want to, you know, let you do your thing, but can we talk about some kind of brand partnership thing? I feel like there's there's something in the middle where maybe make a couple suggestions, but then say like, but also, not instead of, but also, you know your audience best. You know, so for any given influencer to take a look at their content, take at least five minutes to look at their content, get a couple ideas in your own head. Don't worry if they're good ideas or not. You're not just trying to um, propose something. It's more important that you're communicating that they've you've actually looked at their content and that you took that time uh, and 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 it shows respect and and that's a, a great way to stick out. That'll never get old that that someone actually like took the time to get to know you a little bit. It always catches my eye. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a good fit. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a good fit for them. But I think that's like the best sort of way to approach it. I I think that's a that's great advice because even I am not an influencer, but when I get emails, cold emails through LinkedIn, especially this is the biggest culprit, and it's like, "Hi, Rian, I see you have this company. I can help you with X." And I'm like, "That's I don't. I'm not even in that field. You right. know, like it's yeah. like I'm not even going to respond." As opposed to, I once had an email. That was so well thought out and it wasn't a service I needed, but I still responded and I still was like, you know what? This isn't a good fit right now, but I really appreciate you taking the time to get to know my brand before you just sent me this like form letter email that you've sent to like a thousand other people today. 
Yeah, you can definitely tell when people do their research. I, you know, most of the influencer things that come up to for me are more developer focused than anything else. But understanding what my area of expertise is in and what I tend to do, how I communicate is to me is really important doing that research up front that I'm not going to promote, you know, one of my competitors, uh, you know, technology like tech stack. I'm sorry, Wix, but I cannot. <laughs> I also think that the the um, the ask in terms of what you're offering them, it it does make a lot of sense to kind of cut to the chase and throw out sort of a budget. I mean, you can totally, if you want to pay someone five hundred dollars, and you say like, you know, we're looking to pay like three to five hundred dollars so that they automatically get the top of the range. Like, I think is a good good tactic. But that said. Um, I wouldn't save that for later just because otherwise it's just going to end up wasting people's time. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I have a harder time speaking to Instagram or other platforms, but for, for TikTok, one number that's been thrown around that I feel is like a good starting place is $10 per thousand views on average. Like, so if you look at someone's TikTok account and look at the last, like, nine videos that they've done kind of put an average together again maybe round up a little bit especially if things go up and things do go up and down a lot and maybe kind of lean toward the high side of things uh yeah so i almost want to say like the if you take the average of their like three to five most recent uh more viral like high the highest end uh viewer counts view counts for those videos and then do the math on $10 per thousand views average, that sort of gives you like a good starting place to think about like how much, you, you know, you're going to want to, they're going to want to ask for or that where you're going to end up landing. So if it's someone who's doing a million views on average on their like good TikToks, you're talking about 10K. And that also means that you can't be like, I'll give you a 10% discount on the store <laughs> if you tweet about me. Yeah. Post about me. Yeah, the the I'm I'm finding more and more of my influencer friends. And by the way, we can talk about the word influencer too. I'm all about embracing the term influencer. I feel like that's like we were talking about earlier. Like people like to get, well, influencer doesn't mean anything or influencer like who are they influencing anyway? <laughs> like you're the first person to ever think of something like that. Um <laughs> I'm I'm all about just embracing again these terms, especially I think that there's a lot of kind of thinly veiled misogyny that's built into the influencer sort of pejorative looking at it as a pejorative um anytime there's an, an activity that is predominantly seen as being equated with young women uh lo and behold there tends to be a lot of finger wagging a lot of like scoffing at terms and things like that and so um being a middle-aged korean guy like i feel this obligation to to be an ally in that way um that said my influencer friends and i have been talking about how we really are starting to hate the um, the revenue share. Share Here's a discount code. We'll give you 10% of all sales that are generated through your discount code kind of stuff. Um, especially for TikTok specifically. I think that that might work okay for Instagram because it ends up just being like, okay, like what does it hurt kind of thing. But there's something about the ways that TikTok and video-based content, the ways that you're putting yourself out there it doesn't feel good to do the the revenue share thing as much. It feels a little bit like all of a sudden really, really sales pitchy. And so I wouldn't recommend that as a strategy. 
I agree. Also, I fully embrace the term influencer as well. I know I'm an influencer because I posted a recipe of uh, bourbon pumpkin bread. And then the next day, somebody took a picture of the bourbon pumpkin bread they made from that recipe. So that is how I am an influencer. Ta-da! Influencer. <laughs> Ta-da! So I have... I don't know if this is, is a great question, but if you're putting your brand hat back on mm-hmm. and you were looking for an influencer, what type of influencer would you be looking for? I mean, I know you'd kind of be your own influencer, but like in a... In a <laughs> in, I'm going to pay myself $10,000. But, like, <laughs> but how about if you're a smaller brand? And what what would you be looking for in an influencer? Because I, I feel like there's like a, kind of a shotgun approach, like what we were talking about earlier, that depersonalization. Yeah. As opposed to finding that brand influencer product, I don't know, combination fit. Yeah. That's a really hard question because I don't, as you know, I have done some brand deals. You know, I've made a decent amount of money already with brands, both big and small. And for the life of me, I don't understand what the value proposition is for the brand that much. So in other words, like there's a couple different sort of categories of this influencer marketing. One is to actually try to directly through that person's account or content, like drive traffic to your site or to your product, right? Um, Again, I don't know if there's names for these within the industries, but there's that versus the more traditional, just kind of like we want to get our brand out there more, like the impressions, the CPM type sort of attitude, Mm. right? Like that kind of philosophy. And I understand the latter, but I think that, again, I think as things progress in the influencer marketing space, uh, that the former, the sort of the conversion sort of play, I think people are realizing that that's not a good use of people's money. And so, um, so I don't know. I, I feel like I, it's, yeah, I don't know completely how to answer that question i feel like if you're if you're a brand who can afford to do that type of marketing and you find i mean ultimately it ends up being like i've I've said this before that that we talk about this phrase like product market fit when it comes to influencer marketing it becomes about product market influencer influencers audience fit and that's like adds a whole like it doubles the sort of dimension of the things that you have to take into consideration it goes from like that that binary product market, and then all of a sudden there's like this weird kind of like cube, like you know what I mean? Like the the graph of how it connects gets a lot more complicated. But that's 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 the ask. I think that's the job that you have to kind of think those things through. And I think that a lot of people stop at just seeing the number of followers someone has, and and stops there and like, well, they have a million followers, so that they're probably good. No, that that's not. That's not how to look at it. You have to think, look more closely at their content. And also, especially with TikTok, like you can look at their audience engagement a bit, even if they don't give you the the analytics information that, that TikTok people get, which is very limited. But um, if you look at comments and such and see like what type of engagement is this person getting, you know, I think it's worth looking at. So we decided that we're going to actually skip shout outs on this episode because we have a really important question oh, okay. for you. Can we get some dad advice? <laughs> what kind of advice do you need? Do you have a question about it? Or are you just asking for <laughs> just shower us in dad advice? How about some advice for 
entrepreneurs who are just getting started, who might have a bad day or who will definitely have a bad day, and they're like, did I just make a good decision becoming an entrepreneur? What advice would you give to someone like that? Wow. I totally just put them on the spot. We just totally put them on the spot. <laughs> We're like, hey, we need advice. No context. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing is, the thing about your Korean dad and the kind of stuff that I put out there, it looks like dad advice, but it's not. That's the part of the sort of trick. And when I say trick, I mean that a lot of times I think that what people think they want is just tell me I'm going to have a great day today. Tell me everything's going to be great. And a lot of times the stuff that people are calling advice is not advice at all. It's just naming the pain and stress and the thing that's hard and articulating it in a way that that uh, makes it clear that I understand what that's like, and then that's it. You know what I mean? So I guess in that way, uh, I just sort of almost kind of helped myself in that way. I get teed it up for myself. Like the entrepreneur journey is hard. It, 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 it really is. In so many ways, you know, people talk about starting a company and, the, you know, people will use the like, oh, it's my baby. Like I'm raising a child or whatever. It's not a child. What I found, you know, I've been running comp- my own company for, it's been 20 years now. It's not your child. It's a mutant freak monster version of yourself. <laughs> it has all, like all the the most horrible, your, your most horrible sort of shameful shortcomings and flaws and weaknesses are amplified times 100. And the things that you're good at are amplified by like, five or ten like less so right and in that way i think that there is some comfort in knowing that that's the journey that almost everyone goes through in one form or another if they didn't go through that then they it's like they cheated not like cheated in a a dishonest way but sometimes people you know it's like shoots and ladders sometimes you land on the thing and you, you it sends you up but everyone you know has a different journey in that way so yeah that's kind of how how i would talk about that I love that. Thank you so much for that advice. I think everybody needs to hear that no matter where you're at in your entrepreneurial journey. It's just a solid reminder. I'm yeah. done calling my business and my baby. <laughs> Today was My the business last is officially just the worst part of myself. <laughs> it is. It is. It just reflects all, all those things. And then people are surprised by what their business or their company does and says when it's like, you know, that's you, right? (laughs) You know, it's, it's like me sitting here and just saying something terrible and being like, Oh my gosh, my mouth is so weird. Why'd my mouth do that? Like, I don't know. That, that mouth is not who I am. Every single day. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, Nick, Thank you so much. I feel like we could talk forever because I enjoy talking to you so very much, but we don't have endless time and people will not listen to us endlessly. So uh, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your time. I'm going to ask you one more question. Oh, whoa. Actually, I have a question too. Yeah. Okay, you go first. My question is, so going back to my website, one thing that I'm trying to wrestle with is that we sell coffee. Um, 
One of the things that comes up in our industry sometimes is like, why isn't there like a coffee TV show like on Food Network or something like that? And my answer has always been because coffee is brown liquid. Like there's a reason why these goofy like Bart Simpson shaped cake contests are a thing on Food Network and not coffee because the Bart Simpson shaped cake is inherently visual in a visual medium, whereas coffee is not. The thing I'm struggling with with our website is we don't do pictures of the coffee producers or like their communities. I think that that is a dangerous place to go in terms of like what we might call like the white savior industrial complex sort of way to do branding and marketing. So we have a bag with the words like Ethiopia Yergashefe on it. And then we maybe have the beans, which all look almost the same to most people. I don't know what to use as our product image when we're like rotating things up from time to time. What do you, any thoughts on that? Any ideas? Is this something that you've seen before? It's, this is a common, definitely a common problem when it comes to selling coffee online. Honestly, I, seeing the bag of coffee does not bother me anything, any. I'm, and, and especially coffee is, as you said, it's not, a, it's not visual. It's not like, I'm not buying, I'm not choosing my coffee based on how pretty the bag is. I'd rather know what the contents taste like. Um, so I would just, I would rather put more focus on the product's description and the tasting notes and things like that versus worrying so much about the actual visual representation of the coffee. I would say, yes, exactly that. Like I'm looking at your Pillow Fight Espresso right now. And I think just you you have the tasting notes in your description. But if you were to actually have like almost like a little section, it's not really like just put it lower down in the in, in it and maybe bold in the image. You know, tasting notes. Uh, no, on the just in the text because the text will get crawled for SEO, whereas the image, unless you really write extensive alt text, isn't going to. Right. I would put it there. I would also maybe say, you know, putting tasting notes just, you could also put tasting notes on the image, like right under pillified espresso and then like nutty period, chocolatey period, you would, et cetera. Yep. That would be kind of just my off the top of my head yeah. thoughts. For the product description as well, I, I know that I prefer like lighter roast coffee, for example. I don't immediately get that from just the product's descriptions because I'm less educated uh, in coffee. So having that kind of information available to me would be very helpful because I was going to ask you which coffee should I buy. <laughs> I will send you some coffee This because <laughs> this has been really great. But th- th- that's really helpful. Uh, yeah, trying to figure out ways to create sort of visual um, assets when something's not inherently that visual a thing has been a challenge. But that that that's that's really great great advice i do think that like sometimes uh coffee people will put like the range of light and dark and so i have been thinking that like taking a photo of the beans and then putting them up actually like whereas while it doesn't mean that much but if we frame it in the right sort of way it can mean you know it's just a little bit more again like qualifying your customer kind of thing so that's helpful thanks Another another fun fun thing that I've seen occasionally on, on other coffee websites is including um, which uh, what coffee is best for which methods to prepare coffee with. Like I use an AeroPress, for example. Um, so which of these would be best for that? Which one's best for like drip? See, I have trouble with that because I, I, it's it's bullshit. <laughs> when people that's okay. I don't know that's bullshit though. 
Yeah, but I can't do it. Bullshit. <laughs> I won't do it. That's the direct-to-consumer side you're speaking to. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, you're right. You can even have, like, for direct-to-consumer customers. For everyone else, this is bullshit. This, this coffee is for sexy people only. <laughs> That's right. It's so funny. It's all, you know, I would also, do you sell in-store uh, brewing methods? Like, I, invent, I have my own. I invented one. I have a pour-over dripper that I made. Rian, did I not? I thought I was gonna. I thought I was gonna send you one. I guess I didn't. I still. I'll send one to you both. <laughs> okay, amazing. Yeah. I was gonna say. I want to see that on on your on your site. I'm excited to see your. I think it's hiding because it's sold out. But I need. I, I think I have a few extra. <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay. Here's the thing. Sold out. If a product is sold out, what should you do, Kelly? Don't hide it. Put on a <laughs> sign up for restock notifications page or form instead. Yeah. Plus, it's still good you- for SEO, especially something so custom that's been invented and as special. opposed to just another product. Exactly. Good advice. Bonus UX audit. <laughs> Constantly. I'm like, well, let's talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> this is how my brain works. <laughs> Kelly, you said you had a question too. Yes. Yeah, so my question is actually, where can we find you on the internet? So where can our listeners find you? Uh, I always go to Twitter first. I'm Nick Cho on a lot of things. N-I-C-K-C-H-O on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm unfortunately <laughs> Nick Cho underscore. Uh, <laughs> it's a sore subject for me. The, there's a guy <laughs> who has Nick Cho on Instagram. His name isn't even Nick Cho. It's something else. It's like Nick Johnson. But uh, and he barely uses it. He decided to like he hasn't posted anything since 2014. He decided to uh, come at me in the comments because people type Nick Cho and they'll tag him all the time on stuff. And he he <laughs> whose fault is that? He, he went to comments to to complain about it. And I'm like, just give me the name that <laughs> solves the problem. And he. I'll even pay you a little bit of money for it. But he then he went into hiding again and he's not responding to anything. You know how to fix that, right? Tell everybody to tag at Nick Cho. I don't think he uses Instagram that much. I think he's literally one of those people like who opened it one time and then saw all the tags and stuff and decided that like he's what being attacked this? online or something like that. He's being, I'm being doxxed. He's like, oh, this is a nightmare, and just shut it down and exactly. never opened it up again. <laughs> exactly. Um, on TikTok as as your Korean dad, and I think that's all the things. And we'll also link to uh, Wrecking Ball Coffee. By the time this you post this, we might have the new website up. Hopefully. So people should reserve their judgment just in case we publish it earlier. <laughs> if if you. If you open if you open the website and the wrecking ball logo it has like a highlighter effect on it, that's the old one. The new one will not. It, the new one, like I said before, it'll have Trish and my faces on it, our our tanned faces. Ah, that's that's a good a good distinction. Then I'm excited to see your new site. I'm very excited to see your new site. Me too. I promise we won't judge. Me three. <laughs> All right, Nick, thank you again so much for joining us today. This was an absolute blast to record. And I hope that our listeners thoroughly enjoyed this listening to this as we did. Um, I I enjoyed it, so I don't really care. Um, I (laughs) probably should. But (laughs) we had a great time. Yes. 
All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thanks again to our sponsors for supporting this episode. We have a YouTube channel that we will update. I promise. We should do the next teardown of Nick's new store. Oh, (laughs) no pressure. Well, you can find what we have actually posted on there, our friendly Shopify store teardowns at youtube.com slash commerce tea. If you like our podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make us really happy, and we honestly don't get enough of them. So (laughs) please make us happy. You can subscribe to Commerce Tea on your favorite podcasting service. We post new episodes every Tuesday, so grab your mug and join us then. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 